Hello, everybody. This is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. Episode 77 is here, and I hope you're all staying safe and well out there. And thank you for listening to the show. And it's a really great show I have lined up for you this week. First of all, let's get to the opening track. I hope you enjoyed it. It was serious heft, and it was provided by Carrion. And that was the title track of their debut EP, Buzzards. Carrion formed in 2012 and are based in Dublin. So I want to give a big shout out to Finbar, Rowan, Gordon and Connor. Uh, congratulations, lads. And I wish you nothing but success with that EP. Um, and it was recorded, mixed, mastered by Gavin Doyle of Symmetry Industry Studios in Dublin. So again, check out all their social media if you really like that track. And it was by, as I said, Carrion. Right, moving on to the main part of the show, which is something I'm really excited about, was the interview with Gamma Bomb. Major thanks again to Philly on vocals and Joe on bass for taking the time to talk to me and share with me their many adventures and plans for 2020 and onwards. So I won't delay you any longer. Let's get straight into the interview. And here is Gamma Bomb. Hello, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Philly on vocals and Joe on bass with the magnificent Gamma Bomb. Respect, lads. How are you? Very well. Cool. I'm flying, man. Um, I just want to play your new single first to start off the show. This is Living for the Lockdown.
Brilliant, lads. That was definitely one of the songs of this weird last... Is it nearly two months now, are we? One of the, one of the only songs of the last period. <laughs> uh, there's been a few releases, all right, um, along with the, in the Irish metal scene, all right, but that's top quality, I must say. Um, how did it come about? I know the obvious thing, but had you other stuff recorded before that, or did you just... Who made the decision to come up with so this we brilliant... Had, we kind of had... Um, we had some drums uh, that we'd previously recorded. Um, Paul, a drummer, a uh, <clears throat> long-term drummer, left band. Um, but before that, sometime before that, we had recorded drums for extra songs with them. And we had talked about over that time, like, oh, what will we do with it? We'll, you know, we'll put them on, a, on an album or something. And then when we were getting towards making the album we're making right now, we were like, well, maybe they could be the B-side songs. And then I don't really remember how we got to the charity. I think... When we talked about doing a song from lockdown, because we were just kind of stuck and we hadn't properly kicked into doing the album yet, is that about right, Joe? Yeah, probably. Um, actually, you know, like I think most of the songwriting for the album was kind of well underway. Um, like the drum track, the the song kind of existed as a demo about a year ago under a different title and stuff, <laughs> and uh, we were just looking for something to do, like that we could. Well, not so much even relate to the lockdown. I think the lockdown thing came after being all like, oh, let's do a charity single or something. But yeah. we kind of had to warn the Dublin uh, Hostel that we were intensely unpopular and there's no way they were going to get a decent, decent amount of quids. But they ended up actually doing okay. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, the Southern community have been really cool. They've, <clears throat> we've kind of made pals with uh, some of the people in the Dublin Southern community now. And... We're talking about other things we could do and hopefully we're going to do a gig for them whenever that that's possible again and yeah they're, so great, cool. they're great people they do really hard work like and i think you know we were talking back and forth about who was the best to work with on it and i asked other people around town who were more sort of engaged with that kind of thing and you know a lot of people's answer was sound community and fair play to them they've done amazing stuff during this you know they're out literally during the scariest worst part of the lockdown they were out walking around the streets at night trying to get people into accommodation you know yeah, and then yeah. dealing with all the different problems those people have. So it's like, yeah, it was great. And like, oh, yeah, of course, it's not exactly friggin' U2's donation of 50 top hats <laughs> or whatever, Like, but, you know, we did make money for them. They said they noticed an uptick in people going on their um, donation line, and yeah, that's good. And, and as I said, still coming in as well. With All the money we made from Bandcamp on it goes directly to them as well. That's and brilliant. As well. So, like, yeah, and like, that's it. Like, it's harder to work out which not point not not one pence from streaming is that song but you've got um, thirty four thousand listens on spotify thirty four thousand three hundred on that song yep so that's worth about 10 quid probably yeah but they could have it <laughs> Still, as i said like it's fantastic that thirty four thousand three hundred people listen but to it well, if, like you know wouldn't it be great if spotify was in a position to be able to actually like change the rate for charity stuff like that like mm. we're not artists are going to get fuck all but like if you were going to go and do something specifically char for charity you think that you know spotify would sort of have up and be like right we'll give like give them 10p per play or something you know to their credit yeah that would be better but to their credit they did do uh during the coronavirus thing they did allow you to have a sponsorship button on your profile although as i understand it that button was kind of about like give me extra money for a cup of tea kind of thing we we're right. trying to bring in that you know fight uh, what do you call that website like um Kofi or whatever I think, the, well, they sent us the email, you know, because you get Spotify, Spotify for our emails. But yeah, like, yeah, look, it's, it's a ridiculous model. But yeah, look, people were really supportive of it. Mm. Luckily, people liked the song. 
it got great coverage, the likes which we would never normally get. It was in Decibel, it was in Revolver, um, and they were all very nice about it. So, you know, that, yeah. that was great. Yeah, it was good. The main thing is it was nice to do something nice. It actually made us feel slightly good about ourselves for once. <laughs> and, of course, there was yeah. the shout-outs to the, to the Tiger King and Tango and Cash as well, lads. So you haven't changed much, fair play. <laughs> Bit of essential. Yeah, Paul texted me and was all like, man, uh, like, you know, there's other things that you can rhyme with uh, tango and cash than hash. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> Is there's there... nothing truer. There's nothing truer. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. And the gamma bombable snowman made his appearance as well. No, yep. He's living here with me in Rathfarnham, beautiful South County Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we had him in the video there. You know, yeah, I was just, showing it showing it to my eleven year old uh, today, and he loved it as well, man. He can. Yeah, he's very popular with the young people. You know, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great thing. Can he become as popular as Eddie? Well, we'll we'll just have to see whether our extremely limited resources can make that happen. Well, are you <laughs> going to bring him on tour? <laughs> oh yeah, I know he's he's here for keeps now. Like he's on, he's going to be on the cover of our new album, um, maybe in a slightly reborn kind of way, uh, yeah. which might not appeal to children as much. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be much scarier. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think I think he's here to stay. Like, yeah, he's it's a winner, man. I think it's a winner. Definitely. What do you think, Joe? Is he, is he, here? Is he, is he here to stay? Is he, well, he's here for a while anyway. It's always good fun to just have something else to, you know, yeah. like it, it kind of came from the idea of just being on the, on the gigs and stuff like that. As in someone cool to just kind of a mascot kind of thing to come yeah. out. Yeah. But um, yeah, like it's it's fun and it, like it definitely helps with gigs and stuff. Like it's whenever all our music's so fast that people in the crowd tend to get pretty fucking tired, you know. <laughs> so it's good to have a fucking comic relief interlude, sort of, isn't it? Yeah, and he's a you know, and he's a focal point as well. You know, that's that's why Eddie. Um... He looks fit, man. He was doing his he was doing his exercises on the lawn there, you know, for the video. Like, I tell you, you know, he has a great he has a great physique now for a man who drinks um, fifteen pints of McCardles a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tins and Mac into him, isn't he? Yeah, and he's um he's divorced and he's diabetic, like so he's doing. He fit well right in, himself. man. He'll fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how important is it to have some bit of tour fitness going into kind of a long period? Do you mean physical fitness? Physical fitness, yeah. I think you need a degree of it. You know, we don't tend to do insanely long tours. Obviously, we have done, but yeah, you need to be in relatively okay shape. Like, you wouldn't massively hit the drink in the weeks before going on tour as an adult. Am I right, Joe? Or Joe? What's your take? (laughs) I might be wrong about Joe. You always feel fine the first night or two, and then if you if you haven't kind of been looking after yourself, it's the same as like whenever you're on tour. If you just eat McDonald's all the time, after about two days, you're going to start feeling really weak and sick, and the gigs are going to become unpleasant, you know. So you want to kind of my way of thinking of it is you try and keep yourself in good enough health so that you can go on the drink every night. So I like that logic, Joe. I like that logic. Yeah, it's kind of difficult when you're the singer as well because like drink as you can even hear now. The lockdown has done nothing for my voice, but um, like drinking really affects your singing voice. So you have to be nowadays. I have to be quite sensible on tour. You can only have a beer or two a night. And Philly, one time when we were in uh, Germany, donkeys ago, lost in the Reaper band because he was singing Tom Jones so loud, and he got kicked out of the pub for singing Tom Jones too loud. As well. Yeah, and I lost my voice in a very, actually quite serious way. In retrospect, I didn't have a voice for about three months. Okay. Um, was that the start of that prop, those problems? Which no, no, well, it was kind of the first. No, not really. Like on and off, being a young fellow who's an idiot, I had lost my voice like that. Probably what you would call um, 
what do you call them? Vocal nodules. I'd probably had nodules maybe two or three times looking back, but the polyp was later. That was a different thing. That was um, okay. <clears throat> headbangers, headbangers open air and a combination of that and getting a chest infection and then going <clears throat> really hard and going, oh, what the hell? Um, yeah, I was walking around the keys in Dublin one morning and I just went, <clears throat> anyway, okay, something went wrong there. And that was kind of the start of that. But yeah. that, that's a long time ago now. That's the guts of 10 years ago now. The last album, you were back to your best, if not probably oh, the best you. the best actually vocal performance of all the albums that's just me oh thank you that's what, what you think joe would you agree yeah i'd be in agreement um mm. like, i'm glad that we did the albums in between where philly's voice um you know we couldn't do the super high stuff because yeah. it meant you could explore a lot of different stuff and on the first kind of couple of albums like citizen brain stuff there was a lot of kind of shouty talking and then just high pitch noises which kind of mm. sometimes have to be like fixed you know <laughs> um, <laughs> Whereas after after Philly got a surgery and stuff, he he learned how to sing properly. I did. I've, I've done exactly the same thing. Philly. One time when I was filling in for Philly, because Philly fucked his voice up, That's I right, went yeah. and then I fucked my voice up, and we're like, "How to sing?" Sorry. I think actually that was that tour because I got screwed up in um, Hamburg, and then we went to wherever else, Essen or whatever, the next night, and Joe did his. <laughs> what year was that, lads? How long ago was I'd that? Say, that was eight or nine. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was long ago. So does maturity bring responsibility, Philly? Well, it does in life because I have children now. Um, mm. But um, no, not not in terms of what we do with music. I think actually it's like um, Spinal Tap said, it's like, a, 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 you know, they're like preserve the elephant. And it's like <laughs> come to this come to this park and it's like a preserved mammoth you know our our childhood is like a preserved mammoth if anything like immaturity is is the superpower of our band a, a combination of being quite knowing about things that happen in the world and being willfully ignorant about how you're supposed to be grown up I mean, that's what makes the band really good i'm not gonna say all metal fans are the same but i from a lot of the gang that i know going back through the years you know a lot of us still are reliving our teenage years and refuse to grow up you know <laughs> you just agree it's just it's, yeah, inf- it's a form of escapism really isn't it some people who didn't choose that path and like sometimes whenever you see guys who are extremely conservative who are in their like 50s you, you have to remember that they were probably young listening to thin lizzy and drinking cider you know and they just decided to stop doing that one day you know yeah yeah i agree mm. i think it's very important to um like my dad's 75 and he's an extremely young 75. You know, he's on Twitter, he stalks Werner Herzog on Twitter, and like, you know what I mean? And he, like, you know, he's seen all the Game of Thrones and normal people, and uh, you know, fucking better call Saul. And I think, like, keep keeping your keeping yourself kind of um curious and not too self serious is very important. And I think metal is a great way of doing that because you know, metal is energetic and. I think out of nearly all the types of music, it's the most escapist. Quite often, the music is about things that aren't the real world. Yeah. You know, for every Rage Against the Machine, there's 500 bands that are talking about dragons, you know? I know, yeah. <laughs> and as well as that, I'm still near the front, but I'm Good drifting. Man. I'm drifting backwards. Nah, I'm, no. I'm not, I, went, I went to see the cult in the, um, in the Hammersmith Odeon there in November. Nice. Um, I saw that, that that tour advertised, actually. I just couldn't get to see it. Go on. Yeah. And I went and I was at the front of that with my brother. I was right at the front and took a real beating. And it was great. Did you really? Ah, uh, you know, just getting hot done, like, you know. Fucking yeah. hell. Was it that ma- mad for the cult? Oh, uh, yeah. People were going berserk, like, but so was I. So, you know, that's the fact. Like, 
just lots of lots of big heavy men in their 50s jumping up and down on you like <laughs> jesus christ that's that's amazing for them especially that's that's but i mean it's great to hear you know that they can yeah still... yeah no they were they were rocking like they were great but yeah no i'm, I'm not much of a at the front guy like i don't i don't have the build for it you know <laughs> jesus um some of us don't you know but a lot of the time the stages are s- smaller and when a guy jumps man you can feel every no, bit of him hit you <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't do that. I don't. I've only ever cried to it. Like you know, whenever people were kids, like if a seventeen-year-old is landing on you, made a rubber, Joe. They're made a rubber. Yeah, if you're a guy in your forties, and there's some guy who's in his forties landing on you, like you know. Oh fuck! Been there, done that many the time. Especially now, at my age, I went to a neck specialist, and he said my neck is fucked, like neck of a seventy-year-old, you know. And it's, Jesus. He just said like stop. He like actually he couldn't figure out what was wrong, so he went through all. All my what, what way I work, what way I do lift stuff, and I couldn't figure out. And I'm there going, Jesus, I don't know, man, either. You. And he was there just looking at it. I can't understand it. Why is it so bad? And I'm going, he goes, What hobbies have you? And I goes, um, I gave up sports ages ago. So all I do is go to gigs. And he goes, What kind of gigs? And I goes, Heavy metal gigs. You mean you headbang? Yeah, since I was like fucking eight or nine. He goes, That is your problem. He goes, like that. Headbang. <laughs> You know what it probably is, is actually thinking about it there's so many bands that you know you've already seen that would put us up the front like you know maybe if i'd never seen you know the cult playing sonic temple i would be up the front but it's kind of like i, I kind of feel as if i've ticked most of the boxes you know like maybe if it were like evil dead who i haven't seen i would go up the front and watch them but generally i'm too much of a old boy i, I want to be near the bog and near the near the, the bog. Really? When was the last time he played Cork? I think I was at it. Um, I yeah. think it was Onslaught. And we had yes. a load, That's a load it. of bother and stuff. <clears throat> ah, <clears throat> class, man. I couldn't figure out who you were playing with. Um, It was Onslaught, yeah, in the Krushkin Lawn. Krushkin Lawn. Spot on. And we, we, played, we played about a year before that with uh, SSS, and it was great. And then I can't remember what happened. There was some sort of... I don't think Onslaught were being dicks, but there was some sort of thing where basically we, we couldn't do anything apart from just arrived <laughs> on stage and we didn't have a good gig. So And was that the night where Phil Jupiter was there or was that the year before with SSS? Mm, I'd say the year Phil before. Phil Jupiter was, he was DJing after us. And, no, uh, it definitely wasn't the one I was at with Onslaught, no. And one of the lads knocked him was like, oh, Phil Jupiter, and he was like, oh, he was a dick. Was mad, like. he, was, he, was he a dick, yeah? One of the lads went up to him and said something, and he was all like, mm, oh. Well, let's call it, let's say he's a dick. Let's just say he's a dick. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so you haven't been to Cork since? Jesus, that's mental, actually. Um, Not once, yeah. There's a um, brilliant new venue open now, Cypress Avenue, and I was just, t- <laughs> I don't know why, Joe, but when you were saying it there, you like to say at the back, the new venue there in Cypress Avenue. If you're looking at the stage, the jacks is halfway back through the crowd, it's on the right-hand side, and it's ideal. So you Grand. can... Get your beers at the back, the merch is at the back, walk up, watch the band. And the last gig I was at was Steel Panther there, actually. It was so yeah. fucking good, man. So uh, How much are they paying you, Richard? How much are they paying you for this night? Richie ain't getting nothing. We, we, we want a cut of that sweet Cypress Avenue money. I'll say I want you down here. I'll say I want you down here. Anyway, come here. Moving on, moving on. You announced you've signed to Prosthetic Records. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you want to give us a few details on how it came about? It was a, a long time in the often, really. Um, we were talking for yonks. Um, it came about... <laughs> it, it, I don't know how specific to get about it, but it came about because 
I was on Twitter giving out about a former record label, a, a former <laughs> music industry relationship we had. Mm. And a guy replied and was all like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. And I was like, I read his handle and I was like, prosthetic EJ. And I clicked through and it was like, yeah, this is the guy who owns prosthetic records. And I was like, oh, they're real. <laughs> so I sent him a DM. I actually sent him a tweet back and I said, if you really want to stick it to him, sign us. Oh, it was <laughs> as simple then, as that, yeah? <clears throat> no, not really, no. But like that, that, that <laughs> sounded great though. <laughs> that, that joke kind of started a conversation, you know, and then EJ and I talked for a good while, got to know each other. And then EJ flew over to London and JR and I went out um, for pie and cocktails with him and had a great night. And I think off the back of that, there was a bit of that, right, okay, cool, we could probably do something here. And um, yeah, like they're really cool. Like they're they're just really smart switched on guys. You know, um, they really believe in what they do. Like we've definitely been on labels in the past where you're, you're not given much priority and stuff. And I think EJ is a fan of the band and has been since since Citizen Brain. Um, Jesus, fair play. Yeah, he just personally is a fan. In fact, I think he even knew about the band before Citizen Brain. He just really liked Thrash. That was definitely one of the calls, though, with this album was kind of um, him, Gatti, who's mixing all, all those kind of things. We wanted to make sure that we had people who were big fans of the band. Yeah. So in the past, like, we've used it, Scott for a lot of albums in the past, and he's a brilliant uh, producer, but, like, one of, one of Prosthetic's kind of stipulations was that they'd like us to try a different producer and, you know... Oh, okay. Yeah. Do, some, do things a little bit differently, but it was cool. Like, as Philly said, you know... FM were slightly probably two hands off and Eric were probably two hands on. So, mm. you know, third porridge was just right. <laughs> <laughs> like the third marriage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, did you check, they have um, a serious amount of bands on their roster. Did you check them out, lads? Um, I mean, what, who's gone through, obviously, is Testament, Juice Scented, Gojira, Skeleton Witch, for example. They've all moved on from them. But yeah. like, the bands they have on the roster... Are pretty Marty impressive. Is with them at the minute and Holy Grail, and they were like pretty, pretty pro guitar. But um, as I said, it's it's very hard to find a, a label kind of where they're going to have even reach anywhere. And that was one of the good things about Prosthetic was that they had a pretty good uh, <coughs> in Europe, and obviously being an American label, yeah, that was a pretty big deal. Whereas um, AFM, obviously in Germany it was huge but in the US it, we were getting more and more messages from people basically saying it was difficult to get our records and etc etc you know yeah and like I was very impressed you know obviously one of their big success stories was Lamb of God they basically kind of launched Lamb of God yeah um, and like while I'm not a massive fan of their music that's a massive success story and EJ also is the manager of Black Gallia Murder ah he, okay he built them as a band like you know so it's just kind of like, you know, whether you like the music or not, you can't deny that those are bands that are every bit as annoying to listen to as our band. Um, <laughs> that have become a success as a result of working with these people. So, you know, that's, I don't, you'd have to be mad not to look at that and think that's a good idea, you know. There's um, <laughs> an interesting band on there as well, uh, Venom Prison. Yeah, Venom Prison, yeah. Yeah, yeah I Venom saw them Prison in Bloodstock, um, female yeah. singer, some voice. Yes, I've met them. I met them guys, yeah, I met them at the Crying Awards. Nice people, yeah. Um, Again, definitely not my, my scene in terms of music, but like, yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think it's great that they're a female-fronted band. And what what they do is very interesting. Like, they're quite artsy about what they do. Um, and yeah, fair play to them. They're getting the credit for it. And yeah, I think Prosthetic are definitely the label for that, you know? Yeah, 
and Huntsman as well, another band that I really like as well. Um, not sure if you've heard of them. American Scrap no, is no. there. Check them out. Actually, they were they're right. different. They're kind of Americana mixed with kind of death metal and a few other things as well. Right, okay. It's yeah, different, yeah. but uh, very good. So yeah, so there's a nice roster of bands on on with them. So I think you'd fit in nicely with them. Gamble oh, yeah. for uh, appealing to be like the only thrash show in town. You know, <laughs> whenever you talk to like sign with Nuclear Blast. There's 20 thrash bands on the label, and there's about 15 that are more important than us. So it's yeah. like, if you're going to be the only thrash band on the label, or one of the only ones, it's always mm. better. Do that. Is, yeah. The new stuff, you hinted at it on your Facebook, saying that, it again, shout out to Judas Priest and Suicidal Tendencies. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that to it, yeah. I think, um, you know, we're working right now on it, like, working on today, I'm working on it tomorrow. I don't know, there's a lot of different things in there. I think it's the it's kind of the broadest album we've ever made. Is that fair to say, Joe? Yeah, I think there's very... Like, in the past, it would tend to be very thrash, and I think there's some stuff that's very thrash, and there's some very punk, and then there's very priesty stuff. Like, probably a lot more priesty than in the past. Not necessarily true, yeah. but, like, you know, definitely a lot a lot more kind of that sort of direction. So it's cool. Yeah. When you say Joe Priesty now, is it because of the vocals, dual guitar attack, or what, what way do you mean yeah, it? And also just like some tunes have a head out head out in the highway style tempo okay. attack, you know, okay. which is probably slower than we've ever done before, but fast slow as we like to call it. Yeah, well I, I find like we we've kind of found a middle gear where it's like as Joe says, I think this album does actually have our fastest song ever on it and our slowest song ever on it. Hmm. Um and we've kind of found this well, the song particularly today that we're doing, which is one of my <clears throat> one of my favorite songs on it, is one of the slower songs. And we've kind of found a third gear that is thrash without having to be insanely speedy. And, you know, yeah. it is that thing again where, like, obviously we're very enthusiastic about being thrash and we always make sure that we're hitting that. But, like, you also want variation there. You know, when you're on that stage and you're looking at the crowd on a song like Bring Out the Monster or Ninja Untouchables, when you play that, you can see the difference that makes to people. Yeah. You know, you can see that people... I know it's weird to say, but people actually start dancing. Um, which is great, you know, like, so you actually get a different vibe. And I think there's no harm in having in having that as one of the, you know, the, the arrows in the quiver kind of thing. So, yeah, we've leaned into that a bit. And there, there's definitely more priestly stuff there today when we were recording. Me and Domo were laughing about the fact that there's some bits that sounded like Mike Patton. There's some bits that sounded like Lemmy. There's some, you know, like, you're, const- you're con- in the studio, you're constantly name-checking people. But whether anybody ever actually hears that when the album comes out, I seriously... Is it harder to write your style of music that has, we'll say, got, it definitely has the humour aspect, the escapism, there's political satire in there as well. The big scene at the moment in, in metal in Ireland is sludge and it's dark music. And, but like, is it harder to write, you know, your style? Well, I don't, I don't look at other guys. <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean that in the sense that it sounds like. I mean, I literally don't really look around for comparisons to what we're doing. <laughs> I don't know. I think everybody, it's kind of like being left-handed or right-handed or like good at drawing or, or good at singing or whatever everybody else has. E- each group of people that makes up a band have their things that they're good at. Yeah. You know, like I think we would probably be terrible as a blues band or would be a really mediocre hard rock band. Um, and I doubt we could write that music and I, I doubt they could write ours. I will say this though, I do think that um, when you offer any kind of nuance, and believe it or not, like the, 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 the sort of the stupid ideas and stuff we have kind of are nuanced. It's kind of, you know, you're asking people to come with you and find something funny or ironic or 
to join in on a story kind of thing, which a lot of bands don't. I do think that that is inherently harder than just writing a straight story for a song or just writing about your feelings or just writing poems. I think it's harder. Once you go down one route, it's very hard to go down the other way. Yes. Like I'm, yeah. I'm good mates with Alan from Primordial, and there's no way that we could write those sort of lyrics, and there's no way that he could write our sort of lyrics. Yeah. I think the thing is, the more po-faced and serious stuff is, the easier the metal community tends to accept it. Whereas, absolutely, that's if, a good point. If yeah. old kind of like Dio or Flotsam and Jetsam, it's kind of like dragons are okay then. <laughs> But whenever, and like a modern band, say even like an underground band or whatever, did Song of the Dragon, people immediately are like, oh, that's very tongue-in-cheek, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, I think your sense of humor uh, marks you apart from other bands as well, you know? And it's just the way you balance it, you know? Yeah. With the, with yeah. the, the tunes, it's fucking really memorable, you know? There's many people who come to us and say, you know, I'd like Gambom if their lyrics were less funny and stuff. But at the same time, you know, that would make us just some other band, like, so... Yeah, and, you know, to us, obviously, like, when you're in it, it feels like a much bigger universe. Like, True. to my yeah. mind, our albums feel like they have songs without really funny lyrics, and then this other song is a million miles away, and it's a serious politics song. And then this song's a million miles away, and it's quite a serious horror song, you know, where there aren't really that many jokes, or there isn't a joke in it, or whatever, and then we'll have songs like Slam Anthem and stuff, where it's kind of an overkill Judas Priesty, we're writing it like a you know, like a fun poem, nearly. So, like, <laughs> when you're in the band, it feels like we have an incredibly broad church. But, of course, the reality is, you know, most people hear four songs and two of them are about shitting yourself or whatever. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure the Venga Boys have an incredibly deep uh, fucking repertoire. Like, you know, you just happen to mention the Venga Bus in every song. It's the same as us in Tango and Cash. It's like, exactly. we accidentally wrote 10 songs about Tango and Cash. Is there any synthesizers or clean guitars in this one? Well, no, that's still the rule. But me and Domo yesterday were joking about doing, uh, Joe doesn't know this yet either, we were joking about doing like a church organ, like a preacher intro for one of the songs. And Domo, Domo can play amazing gospel organ. His gospel organ is Do no fit no more. Uh, be aggressive, the opening to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. So yeah, we were joking about that, but nah, I don't know. I think we'll put some fun things on it, but we don't really have anything like that. We'll have a couple of really cool wee ideas um, uh, to stick in the songs, but uh, I don't. I don't think anything that outlandish is going to happen. We haven't broken the rules, you know. Are you still influenced by the old school bands? Do you, is that what you listen to now, or are you bothered with new stuff? Do you get recommends? I, Who, like, have you got a friend that will recommend new, yeah, new music to I, you, or? Yeah, I have a few mates who are like metalheads. See, this is the thing as you get older as well, like not all your mates are going to be in the gang kind of thing, but like I have a few mates who are metalheads, but they listen to much more sort of abstract stuff. So I'll get recommended things where I'll listen to it and be like, well, this is very brainy, but not necessarily my cup of tea. I still listen to a lot of Judas Priest and, uh, you know, a bit of Sodom and a bit of other um, underground-y thrash things like that, bits and bobs, mm -hmm. like or suicidal tendencies or whatever. I don't listen to a ton of it. I'd listen to classic metal if I'm listening to anything, really. Okay. Um, but, like, I suppose if you're saying, like, is it still an influence? It is, because it's still there. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're still yeah. we're still working. Like, you know, David Crosby is still influenced, but we're not like David Crosby. But David Crosby is still influenced by the people David Crosby was influenced by when he was 24, you know? Like, yeah. you still think of certain rhythms, yeah. or you still think of certain tones and certain approaches to lyrics. So, like, once 
as Joe says, once you've gone down the path, you don't really back out of it. Like Bob Dylan still goes on about um, fucking, you know, all, all them artists he was into. Like you, you just you kind of carry it with you, you know. I've seen most of those trash bands last year. The likes of Sodom. I saw Tankard for the first time in Brutal Assault last year, man. Such great yeah, fun. Weird, like there's some bands like Tankert and Suicidal Tendencies and Overkill who, you know, it's really about a show, you know, and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it's a to- totally different, like Exodus and Testament, it was a good show and stuff like that, and the bands were great, but um, it's certainly a different kind of, like, different kind of showmanship and stuff, you know. Mm. Um, But I don't know, like for Gambom, in terms, I still listen to all the bands we were kind of big influences like raven or flotsam and jetsam and stuff like that yeah but um it's it's so personal in terms of that's what i would say is our influences and philly would say probably david lee roth and you know so everyone has their own kind of way of looking at it saying john our guitar player is so into like all this crap that no one else in the world likes it like you know um Tony McAlpine project and oh. he's really into FM and, and, FM. and Mars. He loves Mars and yeah. you know. yeah, Jan Hammer and the guy Journey, all that kind of stuff. So that's where his kind of influence comes from. So I want to give a shout out actually to the two lads on guitars because I don't think they get fuck all praise for their <laughs> for their unbelievable contribution don't to the trash scene. Head, don't be giving them a no, big head. No, I don't give a shit, man. It is really annoying me that they don't get the acknowledgement their guitar work is fucking savage if they were oh, um, honestly if they were american like they'd be fucking praised left right and center what's that about yeah. do you think i i don't know like see whenever i lived in england and you talk about thin lizzy people would just assume they're an, an english band or an american band sometimes it's it's weird sometimes whenever you're from ireland people are a bit like oh yeah <laughs> they're from ireland you know so i don't know like um, I think they're two of the best guitar players out there. Um, Unbelievable! Like, uh, Philly, you're scratching your beard and wonder. <laughs> Are you going to come up with something? <laughs> In stern disagreement. No, I'm just thinking. Yeah, they, look, literally, I I've known and met a lot of people who play guitar, and obviously, I know who many of the the great famous guitar players are and stuff of people I've known in real life. I would say the lads are the two best guitar players I've ever met in real life. Like, yeah. I would say. You know, I would say, like, John is a match for Gary Holt. No fucking bother. Any day of the week. He could actually play, I don't know, like, he, like, he seems to me like he's fucking right. And then Domo is like, Domo has a very different thing going on. Domo is much more of an artist. Like, you know, John, John's kind of like a killing machine with the guitar. He's very technical. He's, you know, incredibly skilled. Domo's more like an artist. He uses the guitar like a paintbrush, you know. He does incredibly tasty playing that's quite unpredictable, and he's not very governable. Mm. But his plan is amazingly personal. Like he, I think his guitar plan is as I, I can tell it as far away as I can tell Eddie Van Halen's. Like you could know Domo's guitar plan a million miles away. Like, um, so yeah, like to my mind, they're they're two of the best guitar players, full stop, I've ever met. Probably the best. Whenever you kind of like, whenever you listen to like music or whatever, you just hear what it's like. And whenever you're in the band, um, it's like being a guitar, an awesome guitar player is being able to play the guitar really well, but also, you know, doing your job in the band really well and being easy to hang out with and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And yeah. I know lots of amazingly talented guitar players whose either attitude or whatever has stopped them from, you know, fulfilling their potential. So it's like having the whole package. And like, you know, we're looking for a drummer now and it's that kind of thing where 
you, yes, you want somebody who can play all the songs, but you also want someone who wants to talk about The Godfather 3 instead of, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever else, you know? Instead of both or like, yep. yep. <laughs> if someone happens to be watching this and is a drummer, um, are you auditioning or what's the crack? Or have you got... Sir, we're going uh, to finish our album and then we're going to start getting into auditions and stuff later on. Yeah, well. we, have a, we have a friend helping us out with the album. Okay. Um, and and then after that we'll be getting into some auditions and stuff and I don't know maybe the maybe the guy who's playing the drums for us might do some gigs I don't know yet like we're talking about it anyway he's very busy plays mm. a lot of drums um so yeah no we we like we will you know towards the end of the year we'll know what we're doing for sure you know mysterious answers <laughs> I know yeah what about artist for the cover have you gone that far yet yes we have we're we're just waiting well we're actually really waiting now for the art um. We're uh, we're going to work with Graham Humphreys again. Hey. Uh, yeah, Graham's back. Great back to hear. Again. Great to hear. Yeah, I'm very very happy about it. And um, you know, Graham has well, like he has, he's become a, a, a friend of mine over the course of the last couple of years. And we haven't hung out a lot, but we have hung out, especially when I lived in London. And my wife and I used to hang out with him. And um, I even met his mum once. <laughs> but uh, you know, so he's like he's, he's a really good lad. I think the art he does is exceptional. He sums up an entire sort of. Um, he sums up an entire vibe in his art, which is an amazing thing that a lot of metal album artists don't. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's definitive in his area of things. Um, and we have, you know, a cool title and a really clear theme. And we have our monster. And he's working on that right now. So he's going to send us our, our first drawing. Well, it was supposed to be today, actually, Graham. Okay, Graham. <laughs> That's great to hear, lads. And what about social media? Let's just get into that now do you think it's a benefit for you at the moment yes massively um you know i don't know like you do you do need to have pr and stuff uh generally for as a band and there's a big difference between you know having, having a PR boost and not but social media wise aside from our music it's a good way of kind of getting the politics of gambom around and stuff um mm. a lot of the time we meet people or talk to them online who love our music but are surprised that we have anti-racist lyrics or that kind of thing, you know. So it's, I think, like Twitter, especially Philly, you know, for a long time, he, his job was wrangling social media and stuff. So he kind of knows what he's doing. Um, and uh, my only interaction really is I run the Gamma Bomb Idiot Club and <laughs> Terminator Two. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, it's of course it's important. You can't do without it. You can't really exist without it. Um, yeah, it's good, and it, it's funny, it's changed a lot, like, you can't really rely on Facebook anymore, we don't actually post a lot on Facebook, although we have most of our followers there, we're not yes. that big on Twitter or Instagram, but actually people talk to us more, and they see more of it, and, like, we use our YouTube channel, and, you know, we get around, like, um, and we're doing it all organically, you know, so, it's kind of tough, we're never going to be one of those, like, say, Venom Prison obviously emerged in the last two years, so their Instagram will be massive. We came out in, you know, well, we were noticed in 2009, so our Facebook was really big at the time because that was the thing, you know. So okay. you can almost kind of, you can carbon date a band by yeah. which social platform <laughs> is their popular one, you know. Like, you go and look at a band who are massive on Insta and their Twitter account will be like, you know, Nervosa's Twitter account is like 3,000 followers, you know what I mean, whatever, like, mm. you know, like, it's that kind of thing. But yeah, like, you know, we use it and it's good fun. And weirdly, I think our audience have, our audience have kind of grown up with us as well. Like I was telling the lads the other day, I looked at something that said most of our fans are now 28 to 44. Like our fans are older than ever. 
and also I think the attitude of the fans is different too. Like, you know, obviously over the last week or whatever, there's been a lot of stuff going on about Black Lives Matter, and I was posting about that, and I don't think we got one comment anywhere from someone going, "Stare politics, right? Just great." Which for our entire career, you would have got every time you said anything. Yeah. Um, we're totally strident about that, and obviously there's a thing where those people are all the way off from Reddit talking shit to themselves or whatever now, but it's just also the fact that our, our fans are much more the kind of people that we want them to be now. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of like um, the trends with, with trash as well. If you're into your trash and you like Gamma Bomb, you know, you like Nuclear Salt, you'll always stay with, with them. And it's like Facebook as well. Those fans that originally probably that joined Facebook when he set up Facebook for Gamma Bomb are yeah. still there you know what i mean like trends, trends will come and go but like you'll still have the fans that will be loyal with sort of dependability or you know just kind of being around bringing out an album every few years because a lot of the bands that i love you know lost a lot of their fans whenever the band lost the map you know whenever like testament or megadeth had to turn around and say we're lost let's try and go back to find a find way back like, I think we're lucky that a lot of people who liked us back in the day, who were big fans, you know, we've been able to keep by not bringing out something shit. <laughs> Until now. Uh, no, but, you know, it is funny. It's like having a very, having quite a narrow mission has kept us on the straight and narrow and allowed us to be consistent. Where when other bands, like all those classic bands, they just ran off in other directions trying to like I don't know make money or follow changing tastes or like you know break new markets or whatever NR people were sending them. And you know it's amazing like and it, it's amazing how simplicity does just stand here yeah, over time like just having a thing you do. And I've always thought it was hilarious because people always go, Oh they keep making the same album and, and then that same person owns eight S E D C albums. And you're like, what do you think that is? Like where's the ballads mm-hmm. album there? Like where's that where's the electronic album from S E D C like yeah. Um yeah. but like uh, but then but then to that point if you listen to the first SEDC album and then you listen to Black Ice, there's a massive difference between those two types of music. Like, mm. you know, but it is the same thing, and I think that's what we're aspiring for. As I say, you find that third gear, you don't just um, don't just make the same one. <laughs> yeah, and to know what as well, I know probably you're aware of it, but the work that Scott did with you from from day one, like, I mean, you listen to the earlier Gamma Bomb sound, and the production is still fucking top class. You know, so it doesn't age, if you know what I mean. We kind of had to leave Ireland for that, which is something that, like, bands have had to do since, you know, and, like, we, when we started out and we're getting the sail rail over to England all the time, we met the Pogues and stuff on there and, like, you know, knew that every band, like Thin Lizzy or whoever, even the Waterboys, the only way that they got out of Ireland was doing that. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit shit that we couldn't find someone in Ireland who was any good, you know? And I suppose yeah. it just... It goes to show you. I think Ireland's a big place until you try and find an amazing metal producer. Like, fair enough, there are some good local guys, but you don't you don't get any international bands coming to Ireland to record. So that's no. Yeah, okay. you Your stuff doesn't sound dated because you actually went the extra mile and got the the good producer in. Yeah, I think we were very lucky to work with Scott. Um, and it's a cliche to say, but we really did build a proper relationship with him. I think when we made Citizen Brain. I don't know if either he or us had measure of each other, really. Um, well, you'd expect um, that probably on the first album, you know? Yeah, and also, obviously, we were, like, massive children who didn't take anything seriously <laughs> and were hugely insular and really rude to everyone we met or worked with and stuff. So, like, you know, it was a miracle we actually did all manage to make mates. But, like, yeah, Scott did wonders for us. And 
you know, I think for a long time while we were working together, like his career was growing as ours was growing as well, you know, so like yeah. he's by far overtaking us now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's great. Like, yeah, and we still have a good relationship with him and he actually has chipped in a bit and helped out with some of the pre-production for this record and stuff, you know, and he's, he's still an ear, he's still a presence kind of thing, but I think it is exciting to do something different and even the way the album's being made, because of who's making it and the fact that I'm recording here at home, <laughs> um, it is different already. It's a very different yeah. experience. Like what pressures did record labels put under you in the past? Creatively nothing. Like there was creatively never a no like, Sometimes creatively it would be to the point where, you know, they didn't even want to hear demos. We assume the music's the same as the last album, so do that. And like yeah. as we were saying earlier, sometimes it's, it's that lack of pressure can be a bad thing. You know, this mm. album is come together really quickly because of kind of some pressure from the label whereas if we're left to our own devices too much we can just meander Pooter, Pooter for years the great thing I suppose it was kind of different because that that was nothing really to do with making albums or you know it was more to do with the kind of 360 deals that were the kind of like thing, that was the cadence of the times really wasn't it Philly? Yeah absolutely you know you know it's it's good to be it's good to be put under it's good to have the constraints of and expectations of a plan you know we need it by this time and we want it to be like this and it should be that length which is fine and, and, F, um, <laughs> and prosthetic are very good on that front um but you know the the, the you know when you said do you ever get under creative pressure quite the opposite on this record a couple of times when we've actually our, ourselves been at a crossroads and gone i don't know i've actually chatted dj and gone look i'm not asking you to make a decision but what do you think between this and this and he always just goes whatever man you're going to you do whatever man and it's actually kind of annoying. I wish you would just go, yeah, that one. Because you know? <laughs> you're like, fucking, I've got like three things and I don't know which one's the thing. And he's just like, yeah, man, you're you're the band, man. He's, Whatever, he's doing man. Um, a Rick Rubin with Metallica. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think Rick was a bit more strict. To be a strict Rick. Work your magic. So the classic is uh, when, he, when, he, when you two tried to make an album with him and he kept making them come to work at the same time every day. So they stopped working with him. <laughs> really? Yeah, you two and make. Rick Rubin. Fuck. Off. Songs of Songs of Ascent. I think is that their last album, Songs of Ascent. But it was Songs it, of the Innocent or some shit like that. Yeah. I don't know. So that album, when they were making that, they started making another album with Rick Rubin. But he he kept doing a Rick Rubin and being like, "Come in at nine. You have to come in here, and we're working all day, and this is your job now. And use these strings, and I'm Rick Rubin." And they were like, <laughs> "We're we're we quit." It's <laughs> 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 like he's toppling in from you know fucking his zoo. <laughs> Bono's on a giraffe riding into the studio on a giraffe. I actually <laughs> saw the. I was living in Dublin that time when they uh, recorded the sweetest thing. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were living in um, uh, Balls Bridge and we were heading to, funnily enough, Dublin Zoo that day. And we <laughs> just were walking down, myself and the wife, and there was a fucking elephant, you know. Mm. And I was just going, what the fuck is this? Like, is Dublin Zoo coming to us? The next minute here is um, Boy Zone and it was just like... Uh, oh, yeah, Boy Zone. Uh, yeah. We just kept walking going. I don't know. We never knew, actually, it was you two, though, but... Was fucking only you two could stop the whole of Baggett Street and Ball Street and all that. Like you know, it was on a Sunday morning actually, from what I can remember. Weird, no? Weird old game. And he gave his wife the publishing for that song because he forgot her birthday. And I'd nice. say that song's worth about a million quid, million and a half quid, probably. What like that don't have the replay value that you imagine. Like just because you heard that a million what? times on the radio back then, and it's on their best of. It's like. It, you, one of those songs wouldn't get played about 
tenths of the times of anything off the Joshua tree, even like the non-hits and stuff. Yeah, I still bet it's, I bet it's a million quid. That's not worry about you two. They have a couple of pounds. They're grand. Uh, they're yeah, not they're looking so for the top of the egg, then, boys. <laughs> they have their money made. Don't worry. I'll tell you who Bono's looking out for. Bono's looking out for Bono, right? Bono <laughs> was always an FNer. <laughs> but he's high heels, fuck's sake. To be a contrarian, I actually, like, I, I've come around to just thinking you two are really good. I think it's cool that they're from Ireland. I saw them at Glastonbury and thought they were great crack. They've loads of hits, you know? Like, yeah. you wear sunglasses, rock and roll, you know? <laughs> Gamma Bomb said, you two are cool. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're really maturing, lads. It's, it's impressive the way you're... <laughs> yeah. So I just want to then go back, bring you back. Do you remember that time when you used to tour? Remember that when you used to play live music in front of audiences? Hey, hey. <laughs> Say AFM, right? They were willing to push you to go further, more towards America and stuff like that? Or was that Eric? Which one was that? Well, no, nobody really. F FM did try and uh, <laughs> organize us a big tour over there and stuff. And they kind of balls up the visa process and stuff. And just to give you an idea, like launching one of those tours costs about 20 grand. So it does. How and much? 20 grand. Only about oh. 20 grand. Because yeah. you're looking at about two grand per person for a visa. And then you're looking at the flights. So before you can go and do a tour, you need your flight home booked and everything, you know. And then there's a, then there's the cost of things like an RV or whatever. So the, to be fair to them, AFM did did try to set it up. The guy organising it in the US was a mess, and the visas got screwed up and stuff. So there was a couple of things, and unfortunately we couldn't do it. It was supposed to be with fuel by fire and artillery. Like we weren't necessarily necessarily pushed toward America by them. Um, we did tour America when we were on Mirac, obviously. Labels do think it's it's a larger gamble, but you know, most labels will be keen on trying to get you into America. But just a few things haven't worked out for us in that in that kind of way. I think obviously with prosthetic now that'll be opening up to us again. Yeah, that's but, why um, I brought it up. Yeah, <laughs> we did offers. We're offering like um, Enforcer and uh, Warbringer tour there mm. a couple of months ago, and it, it just so happens that like on whenever we kind of work it year by year album and do very few gigs and then the next year we'll try and gig more you know and like if we get off whatever we'll just depend on on if we're busy creatively kind of you know yeah i think we will go back obviously and it's just a matter of when we can fit it in i think um you know you're right in saying remember when you used to hear like you're just right but like we are we are definitely getting back on that wagon now obviously in terms of our lives there was just a few different things i had two children domo as a child uh, who have all been very small. Um, <laughs> and now, now they're all walking and talking and stuff, so these things open up a bit more to us. Well, we had a really, really uh, illuminating conversation with Tankard. Like, uh, Paul, our old drummer, put Tankard on whenever he was 15. He promoted their gig. But about a year or two later, we were playing at a festival with them, and they were kind of just giving us the lay of the land, just being like, you know, you guys want to make a living off this. You're going to need to tour, like, you know, hundreds of days a year, and et cetera. And they were like, you can do that or you can have a good job and just go out one weekend a month. And that's kind of what we ended up doing, you know? Jeez. Yeah. But um, From like, tankers, we were under yeah. illusions, man. It was always the kind of, if your heroes are bands like Raven and Flotsam and Jetsam, bands who can't pull 150 people, then don't be surprised whenever you can't pull more than 150 people. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they rarely tour outside Germany. And if they do, it's probably... A few festivals and that's it but i presume yep. 
they all have full-time jobs then. Uh, and Bankers, yeah. There's a lot of people are in that situation where if you have a, a really good full-time job and you're making X hundred quid a week, you know, it's very difficult to sort of justify abandoning that to make little money, you know. There's some bands out there, like whoever, like Onslaught or whatever, where they're like got rid of their long-term singer That's so right, that they yeah. pursue, pursue a full-time, you know, big world tour kind of stuff, you know. And like obviously that's their ship, the you know they know what they're doing and stuff. But we would never do that, and it was something that we were very aware of from being fans of you know like thrash when we were kids and stuff. We could see all these bands making huge mistakes like onslaught or you know testament to ritual or force of habit. You could see where bands made massive errors. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. Whenever we we were doing it, we already had a road roadmap of stuff to be like, well, don't do this. You know that's not going to work out. So yep, that's what we did. That's class and, you know, respect for for seeing the black and white of it really, isn't it? Like the guys in Eval, like all left the band for four years, to, you know, because they were like, well, we're going to tour full time. And he was like, well, I can't I have to have a job. And then you end up in that situation where you lose you know, band members as well because of it, you know, reason and now he's back. It's just like I'm not shitting on the guys. It's just like it, we kind of felt a wee bit more self-aware than a lot of our contemporaries about that. We were like, mm. it's not going out and tour for 100 gig, gigs once you've done it a bit, you know? I think there's, the, the industry is in such a position that, um, you know, there are bands who can clearly make money and there are ways to make money, but heavy metal isn't, for the absolute majority of artists, even established artists, connected to the same money-making apparatus that other types of music are. Like, say, right. hip-hop, urban music, mm. um, pop music. Um, they're they're connected to apparatus in the industry and in the broader culture that can help you make more money. Yeah, look, heavy metal bands can only make money on their merch. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, for example, there aren't many heavy metal songs used in things, so syncs aren't really there. Whereas, like, pop music or R and B is hugely used in advertising. And you know, it, you know, there are fewer radio stations that will give you a prominent airplay. So, like, a play on apart from obviously. Daniel P. Carter does a great job in BBC Radio 1, but like a play on BBC Radio 1 is worth quite a bit of money to an artist um, in terms of the royalty for it. There are less mm. stations and less bandwidth for that for heavy metal. So like, you know, they're, they're just, heavy metal is the kind of thing where like, if you see an artist who is touring loads and loads and loads, they probably are doing okay off their merch and okay off the publishing, depending on how many people that's being split between. And I suspect a lot of bands, like one person maybe. Yeah, there's not many new bands um, that can do that. I think the one that springs straight to my mind would be Power Trip. Yeah, I think Power Trip and Code Orange have done massively. Well, look, here, like, the, the success story of heavy metal in the last 10 years is Ghost. Tobias Forge uh, played, listen, he's played a massive blinder. He's a guy who, he's a guy who was in loads of bands and he um, had two small kids and he had no job. And he decided that he would do that. And obviously, there's lots of politics around how he has done that. But he is completely in control of that. And the yes. revenue is huge from that. So, oh, like, yeah. it's, and, it's a, and I went to see him in Dublin and thought, well, brilliant. They're great crack. They've got a couple of great tunes. There's funny, stupid shit. The show was very well thought out. He obviously puts, honestly, he puts like a prince amount of focus into what he does. Like, everything is choreographed. And that's not us. But I think that's great. And, you know, they're the only band that I've seen in the last 10 years when, like, that is a headliner. Like, yeah. other bands, people are I, like, this is a new headliner. You watch them and they're like, I'll give you, you that. Really I'll give you that. <laughs> I just hate them. I could definitely see them headline big festivals, but they are Blue Oyster Cult for wankers. Look. <laughs> Agreed. 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 
I saw them support Alison Chains in the Alley Pally years ago now. Alison Chains, it was their first tour with the new singer, William Duval. Yeah, William, yeah. William Duval. And Ghost, yeah. there was more hype about Ghost than Alison Chains. So we were just. Told a great sign, isn't it? Like- yeah, these lads were kind of, you know, like there was a massive pulpit when we went into the venue, all these ghost things everywhere. I'm just going, Jesus, who are these crowd? These, you know, we just knew yep. the image. So we were expecting probably Celtic Frost or, you know, mm. something along the lines of destruction or something. And next minute they come on. And now as as a stage presence, it was second to none, to be fair. But what we heard, I just went, what the fuck? This is like a Eurovision some people, fucking song. Some people like it and some people don't. But yeah, it's, I think it's weird. Whenever you see bands like Ghost or see other bands who take theatrics semi-seriously, even like Beatles or like freaking whatever, like, you know, that that's where you see success stories in metal is bands who are, you know, willing yeah. to go under their stage shows and stuff. And like you said, like Car Trip are a cool band, but they have so much crossover from hardcore and punk, you know. Yeah. They're kind of like Toxic Holocaust, like that, where their audience isn't necessarily... A metal audience, yeah. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, look, you can't argue with the figures with Ghost. They supported Metallica and Slain as well, you know, so. Yep. So, no, yeah, that, 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 that's what I was just saying. Like, so, if you could land your perfect tour tomorrow, lads, uh, what bands would you have on the bill with you? <sighs> Who would we support, Joe? <laughs> Good question. You kind of want, like, you, you don't want to have to headline, so you want to have, like, really cool bands around you. I'd have, like, someone like Violator opening, and then us, and then have someone like, <laughs> You could have your Code Orange or your Power Trip there, like, you know, above us there. Like, you could have one of them bands. I think I'd love to tour with uh, NoFX or someone like oh, that. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool, yeah. Like, I'd love to tour on on front of other another audience, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, an audience who would get it. With, um, you know, gigs in Dublin and stuff like that. You'll meet all the same people at the same <laughs> gigs because they're all the same bands, you know? Didn't she do yeah. a tour at one stage? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Did you not tour with Dark Funeral? Yeah. We did in Brazil. Yeah, and that's yeah. a different whole yeah, vibe there, was it? When we started out playing in Belfast, all of our gigs were all like GBH, Swell Bellies, Poison Idea, that kind of stuff. Go Karts. We, yeah. we didn't play the Thrash Band until Mass Extinction, like years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2006. <laughs> yep. in Mass Extinction, Jesus. We were going... We were going four or five years before we played with the Thrash Band. We used to, Luke and I used to walk around uh, nightclubs and pubs in Belfast selling our demos for a quid a pop. And you would walk up to people and you would have to explain what Thrash was. We used to have a spiel, you would go, do you like Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Nuclear Assault, S.O.D. and Slayer? <laughs> I can still remember it. And like, <laughs> we would say that spiel and people would go, yeah. And I'd go, well, there, there's our demo, it's quid, do you want that? And they'll go, yeah, all right. And that worked. <laughs> Jesus. That's mad um, when you think so back. people hadn't heard of it. You had to tell people that it was a genre. <laughs> My God. But like, how did the Dark Funeral, was that through a record label? That was just a fascinating well, through thing. A, through a vicar. Cool. Yeah, and Brazil, Brazil they tend to be a lot more, let's let's mix it up. Like we had a, a death metal band supporting us when we headlined it down there a couple of years ago. And originally the bill was supposed to be when we did Dark Funeral, the accused, Gamma Bomb, and Dark Funeral. They're definitely a lot more kind of, you know, let's just bung a load of different sorts of bands together, which I'd love to see more of, but 
I know if we went and toured with Primordial, fucking, we'd have an incredibly bad time. <laughs> yes. Yes. What's, what was the accused again? Adventures of Marta Splatterhead or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, class, man. So you actually played with the accused? No, they no, pulled out. Um, I can't what? remember. They pulled out of the tour. Usually, okay. it's kind of like the further away a gig is from home, the more chance that there'll be something go wrong. So Brazil's pretty far away. So, Do you ever not reflect back and kind of go, I, I don't know, are you aware of the Irish metal scene at the moment? That's the whole purpose of this podcast. Anyway, it's just to promote the new upcoming bands, the established bands. But like, I don't know, are you aware of what's going on? Because it's really, it's really a small um, scene as such, but it's the quality is unreal in relation to artists, um, albums, the whole lot is fantastic. But like you're a band that has toured America, Brazil, blah, blah, blah. I mean, is, do you not reflect back and kind of go, Jesus, what we did just fuck all bands get that chance in Ireland. You know why that is, man? It's to do with what we were saying about that ferry where you meet the Pogues on. You know, it's like, you, like even bands who got signed to labels from, like, uh, not old season, what were they called? Uh, from, like, Fermana, they were like a doomy band. They were signed to Metal Blade for an album. Season of Mist or something? Or no. no but anyway, what I'm, what I'm saying is that basically loads of great bands in Ireland, like, say, something like Psychosis or Animator. Yes. Like, I think they're brilliant bands, but I don't think I can't see them, you know, taking off unless they start putting in serious legwork, you know, and and, and money. <laughs> it's gonna cost them to get a, you know, get you a know, well, thirty quid return, and that was yep. your train to anywhere in England. And the first time we toured with Exodus in England, we were getting the mega bus between gigs. So a pound, the bus was a pound, you, and you'd be on the bus for right, right for the attitude to have. You need to just be like, well, we we have to go. So how are we gonna go? You know. Yep, that's what we did, and it like it's not a money matter. Obviously, you do you have to you have to invest your time and your money and your sweat in it. Like, but as Joe says, in those early years, you know, it was the floor and the bus and carrying our heads across town and carrying our guitars across town and sometimes not having somewhere to sleep. And you know, we did we did all that stuff for years. Like, and it's not like we're hundred percent better than that now. Like, there's still the odd night, but you know, I think it's kind of like it's a thing about Alan that astonishes me, and I see it in all kinds of music. Like, when you look at, <clears throat> like, I have a lot of friends who are involved in, like, you know, ma more mainstream types of music here. And, like, you see the bands here, like the Coronas and stuff, who are successful here, and they play it on the radio, and they make money, and they'll play really big gigs and stuff, but they do not exist outside out. Mm. They don't fucking exist. Nobody yeah. knows who they are. Nobody knows. And, like, but then you have a band like Villagers who have, rightly, a global appeal, and they're known, and they do all the legwork and stuff. But, like, most of those other bands never leave Ireland, so how are they ever going to get somewhere? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And although we don't have their scale inside Ireland, we never thought Ireland felt big enough, so we always were trying to do something else. You know, um, we were always we were always at, at, attempting to go somewhere else, and I think that was on our wish list from the start. We used yeah. to talk about the things we wanted to achieve as a band when we first started. And it was like have a badge, have a T-shirt, play a gig outside Neary, play a gig in Dublin, play a gig outside Ireland, and you know that was kind of the tech list, wasn't it, Joe? You know. And there's like all the good bands in Ireland who've done, you know, who've done well for themselves, even like Mail Morda and everyone like that, especially like Ireland's well known for the kind of pagan and doom stuff, yeah. and rightfully so. But that's all success because those bands went to Europe to find Polish people who loved them, you know, yeah. uh, 
And I think that there's some brilliant bands who broke up, like Stereo Nasty and stuff, who, if they had a, like been able to do the legwork, probably could have ended up, you know. I think the, be- the, the best... I think Mass Extinction too. Mass Extinction could have yeah. definitely done more business. They could have played good gigs in London, and they could have played... They, there was no reason Mass Extinction couldn't have played the good club shows we did in Europe in 2009. There's no reason they couldn't have... Like, yeah, they, they probably would have been among the masses of bands who sound like that. <laughs> Sorry, lads. Like, but, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. at least they would have been there. Like, you know, they would have been like, at the table. Like, the Northern Ireland metal scene at the moment is one of the strongest it's been for years, in insofar as bands releasing just top-quality material, but they're not getting to the audiences yeah. they deserve, there, you know? There, there's even, weirdly, a kind of cross-border uh, problem there like that. Like, you get some bands like Crossfire and psychosis going up to belfast and doing well with the kind of thrashers up there but there's not enough like a band like Sinnocence, who have been about for the same length as time as gambom are still going support Head like we did but they they don't gig down south now i don't know where in the north they're from but i just know that that's that's the deal like it's not i don't know like I, I do love like metal bands from Ireland, but I, I always kind of get a feeling that there's too much wrestling on the laurels. People are too happy to play for Irish people instead of trying to play for, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, do you know what? It's always, from what I, I gather, it's always, it's the money aspect to get mm-hmm. over to England and Europe. It's, yep. it's, you know, transport, it's the gear, the whole lot. And what a lot of bands are doing is just doing swap tours, you know. Yeah. So but look, it's you know, to, to my mind, that that's a matter of want. Do you know what I mean? Oh, look, you want he, it. No one will argue with you, yeah. Philly, in relation to what you've done. No one. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just saying, like you know, like I agree. There's been times where we we couldn't actually sort out getting over and doing gigs. Our earliest attempts to go to England and go to Europe and stuff didn't work. We, we had a UK tour booked and our drummer wasn't allowed to go by his dad and all this shit. Like, mm. like early on, we definitely ran into that, but we wanted to. So, like, we tried again, you know, and then that's when we that's when we went to Scotland and did three gigs and, you know, then we tried again and then that's when we went to the gig in London and then we went again and, you know, like, so it's, it's just that. And it's not, I'm not saying, like, kudos to us. I'm just saying that's part of the... It has to be part of the journey. And it's also why, like, unless you're in very unique life circumstances... The opportunity to establish yourself as a band or an artist is when you're young. Do you know what I mean? When it doesn't matter. Like, I'm yes. I'm 37 and I have notions and children. Like, if someone was like, "Come on and hit Europe for three weeks sleeping on the floor," I'd be like, "No, fuck off! I'm not doing that." Like, <laughs> I, like you know what I mean? Whereas if they're like, "Come and do three weeks that are worth it," with you know, and they're hungry, yeah, band, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? You'd be like, "Yes, obviously." Like, mm. I'll see you soon, kids. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bands with the hunger, but again, it's the the money. Is the problem, you know? The durability. The durability, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about merchandising? What have you got planned coming through? Have you got a new line set up yet, or does that depend on the artwork of the album? Probably does. Yeah, so it, it depends on a few things. Like once, um, once now that we have the album locked, we'll know which songs are going to sound like singles. Um, we are talking to the merch people at the minute. We have a few different things. Where it's probably not too much of a spoiler, but we're going to get Snowy plushes made. Snowy's going to be a teddy. That nice. you can get um and we're looking at other merch like that and we're looking at um how we can better work with our merch stories we you know like i think we've always had really good designs but we're not insanely we're, we've never been insanely focused on up in our game in that front um mm-hmm. whereas i do think people are people really like gambling t-shirts and stuff so we need to put more effort in but yeah i think we'll be doing we'll be doing new t-shirts for 
singles. I'm actually thinking as well, we should start doing a bit of flashback merch and start producing merch for our old albums. And um, maybe doing like retrospective merch where you'll get like, say a patch set, that's seven patches and one is each album or something. Like all we that's represent. That's a great idea. That kind of thing. So we're talking about that. But like, the battle jacket is back, lads. The battle jacket is back. Never went away, boys. <laughs> <laughs> And did you come across actually on tour or just on the internet um, bootleg merchandising of your band? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whenever when you go to like you know parts unknown and stuff like Mexico and shit like that, um, and Brazil, a lot of the times it's kind of just like, well, what are you gonna do about it? And you're like, nothing. <laughs> Whereas like. If it's someone online or someone on Rugby AliExpress... Rugby tattle your man to the ground as he's running away. <laughs> <laughs> we, I remember in Mexico, we, we picked up a load of stuff from the merch stall with our logo on it. And the guy was like, you have to pay me for that. And we were like, no. Merch. Fuck. <laughs> Where was this? Uh, it was just at, at some festival in Mexico, Metal in the Forest. But like, it was gas because like, you had trucker hats with logos on them. And we were like, we're taking those. And, I, and it wasn't like, I'm not taking all of them. I was like, I want one, you know. Yeah. And he was all like blah 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 blah, and I was like, and I was saying him in Spanish, "That's my fucking hat, that's my hat, <laughs> my band." And then he was all like blah 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 blah, and then he was like, he was actually pointing out that he didn't have any left, and I was like, "Oh, right, okay, fair enough." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like you get like the bootleg merch you get in Latin America and stuff is class. Like some of the t-shirts are amazing. There's a really amazing Citizen Brain one out there somewhere that has the album cover and stuff, and it's designed in a much nicer way than we would have done. There were hoodies and all that were really good. But like, yeah, I have a really, like, cool, um, a really cool DRI one that says "Who Who I Am" DR DIR on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Um, yeah, of course we give out, but yet if you come across a good rip off as well, it's hard to turn it away. Like, oh, I love a good rip off. But like, you know, say we would, I would be fairly, I'm fairly down on people trying to sell like bootleg patches and t-shirts on eBay and stuff because. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. They're always they're always worth quality. Like we we let people listen to our music and download it for free. So Yeah. I didn't want to bring it up because it's been over fucking said with you, you know, but look <laughs> you if you want to bring it up, yeah. Yeah, well that's that's how we got to all these places and that we're yeah. talking about. Sell our CDs in those places so people download our albums. So, you know. But that's ten years ago. Yeah. That's not that even as relevant anymore now. Yeah. So, so just again, probably for those that don't know, that Gamma Bomb, was it the uh, Terror Tapes, is it, or which one was it, which album, or Tales from the Grave, which Tales. one was free? Yeah. Tales. And it's still live, yeah. you can still go on the Eric website and download it free at the minute, if you so, yeah. are so was, inclined. You're sick to death talking about it, but and I didn't I want know, to bring, really bring it up, but um, you know, that was a game changer for you, it got you to so many, yeah, like, way bigger audience, yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, yeah, definitely the difference between being a European band and being a worldwide band, you know. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like people had heard of us because of it, and I'm still really proud of it. It's a good record. Obviously, there's some politics you can't even be arsed getting into about it, but yeah. it's not available on streaming platforms. But it is. Uh, it is. There is still a link if you search for it. Gamble Bomb Tales from the Grid and Space download, Eric. You'll find it on their website. There is a link that's still live to download it. That's perfectly legal. You know. DM us on our Facebook and we'll send you a link for it. Or if there you, you DM us on Facebook or any social channel, we'll give you the link for it. But yeah, like it's it's a really good album. It's very up of its time. Um, you know, it's quite hyperactive and overdone, and that's good fun. It's nice to have that. Like you know, we've we've done albums since that are relatively measured. I think um, that was just friggin' balls to the wall, a load of nonsense stuck on the record. So it's good. It's good crack. Like, have you appeared on any other trash compilations, Bear? The trashing like a maniac one. 
we're on some kind of FM compilation. FM and Eric both brought out pretty unimaginative kind of like metal zone kind of comps. Like we weren't on anything in a kind of stars on thrash kind of way. We were like, yeah, oh, do you remember God. them back in the day, man? They were such right. great fun to get. Like, I remember whenever we started out, they were doing a new version of uh, Speed Kills, and they wouldn't let us on it. And we were like, damn you. Who who controls that actually? It's probably the record label, Megaforce, one of those, was it? Or usually it's publishing for us, but yeah, with those comps, it's usually a label. Like yeah, that's how I got into such great trash bands back in the day was getting those compilation albums. You know, yeah, Joe had stars on trash on vinyl. It was just like, what is this? Speed kills, speed kills five. Speed kills, all the speed kills. By then it was like. All the reanimators, funk songs, and ignorance, and all this crap that yeah. early, like early Metallica as well, was was on it. Um, was it um, lights? Hit the no. It was uh, one of one of the ride the lightning ones. Actually, was one of the first ones. First time right. I came across Metallica. The one with Cliff starting off. Do 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 do. Oh, for whom the bell tolls? And the bell tolls. Yeah. Yeah, that was on one of the speed ones or one of those ones anyway. And that's how I first got into Metallica. I was just listening to that. There was just a load of Razor was on it. There was Megadeth. There's a few other ones. Great, man. Quality. But like they don't they don't do that stuff anymore. And it's playlisting now. It's all about the playlist now. That's yeah. It. Come here, have you worked on your film? We're all waiting for the film, lads. Is it gonna be <laughs> animated or are you gonna star in it? What's the crack? Every time we find a record deal, we always talk about it. Because it's like whenever you sign a new deal, you have more power to try and get what you want you know but it's like realistically it would involve us like probably not making an album for four or five years and you know joe you've used that excuse before come on come up with something better (laughs) at this stage (laughs) i do my research man (laughs) in the past it was a kind of situation where if we had made it it would have been awful whereas um philly's directed and produced the last couple of videos and uh, they've been really good. So, like, I think if we did one now, it would be fantastic. But it's, um, again, it, you know what it is? It's more that if we only have, like, 40 or 50 days a year that we could possibly be free to either gig or make an album, we'd be using all those days X times over to go and make a film. That people would be like, what were you thinking? Like, this is... <laughs> uh, for, for, for some reason, right, for some reason... I think it should be animated, and if that and if it's animated, then it would just only need you to just use your voice. Voice. Well, every and... every deal should be lobster, man. You know, every deal should be lobster. <laughs> we need to find a bunch of North Korean slaves to animate it. So yeah, I'm gonna have a look on AliExpress and see if there's any any budget Scooby Doo animation going on AliExpress, maybe. You know, we might try to we might try to work on an animated video for this album, like the label. That'd be tier. cool. That'd be a cool. lot. You need a lot of lead time. It would probably be the last thing we release from the album or something that would need a long time. But, but technology uh, yeah. has got so it's so far ahead now. Technology, you'd be able to do that really cheap because there's so many yep. things. It depends, in there. Yeah. It does, that's true. There are there are efficiencies, but it really depends. Like I've I've made a lot of animated stuff in the day job, and it's like. It's like you can have good or fast or cheap, but you can't have all three. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. You can have two of those at a time. You can have good and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Fast is not going to be cheap. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Know? Just going to wrap it up anyway. So, you know, give us your top five trash albums. Well, we just do a joint top five, Joe. Uh, that'd be boring. 
because I want to oh. hear hear both of your your inputs. She right, can you can can, you can kind of bounce off each other anyway. I think that's the easiest. Right, I would say I would definitely put Rusk in the top five. Um, yeah, I saw that tour actually. Did you see it? Megadeth with Alison Chains? No. Uh, I saw the uh, the re rehash of it in uh, in Cork at the big art marquee. So did. Oh, and the sound was so shit, man. I actually went to America to go and see it as well, but I don't know. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely Rust and Peace. It's the Megadeth one. I would probably like in terms of Metallica, definitely Master of Puppets, but I probably wouldn't put it in my top. Five. I wouldn't put it in the top five. Yeah, I would say um, Thrash Zone or um, Four of a Kind. DRI class. I would probably go more for something like uh, Ludacris to Michael Deception. Oh, hang on a second. Oh, we're, we're playing games now. Now we're playing games. That would be my, more my crossover that sort of thing. But um, and then I would game I, over. I bought a bunch of CDs um, down because I knew I was interviewing you. Obviously, I would. I would probably. Ah, oh, there we go. That's Only a nice collector's record. item, Ludacris. I have a few, <laughs> um, have a few so, nice ones there. That's a great album. Tommy what Christ. You, what, was your, what was your last uh, suggestion, Philip? Game over. I would probably go for Survive. So would I'm more of a Survive. I, I'd, I'd agree with Joe on Survive there. What about European? What's Sodom or? Was, that's what I'm moving. That's what Persecution I'm moving on you know what? Maybe not Persecution Mania. I might go Agent Orange. Great album. Yeah. I'd probably go Persecution Mania myself, or maybe better off that. Well, no, Persecution Mania definitely. It's it's mm. amazing. Agent Orange is um, class, but I can't decide on that one. Yeah, that's a tough one. Any Exodus? No, Pleasures of the Flesh. Not really for me. Like I like Exodus. When we were younger, definitely it was like it like all three of the first albums like definitely <laughs> huge same as testament and stuff but now oh probably, the legacy like, testament the legacy that's fucking class i know like definitely um no place for disgrace by flotsam jetsam class um, semi misgivings now probably unstoppable force by agent steel it oh was yeah big... i would i would definitely put in the top five i would definitely <laughs> put it in the top five for sure yeah unstoppable force for sure in the top five and do you know what? I wouldn't be a fan of high pitched vocalists. Agent Steel, John Cyrus, fucking love him. Good vocalist yeah. for sure. Like him yeah. and him and Eric AK, um, both brilliant singers. Um yeah. very different like sorts of singing, you know. John, John Cyrus is well again lunatic. probably entering the politics area again here, you know. Okay, do you have to stay kind of safe there, lads? Because you probably <laughs> fucking know him, no one. There would be the for sure, like Joey Belladonna was a big influence. Like, Joey Belladonna, John Cyrus, and Eric AK was what we thought. That's what I wanted to sound like. But did you actually meet Eric? I probably I met Eric AK. Yeah, I met him last year. He, yeah. he seems a lovely guy because we saw him um, in the voodoo and he's a fucking great vocalist live as yeah, well. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So into it. He looked exactly like Philly now as well. Him and Philly are near. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I, we really look alike. Me, me <laughs> and Eric, okay. We actually really do look alike. I met him. <laughs> um, where was where were we now? We were in um, the um, in the Islington Academy in London. And... Uh, I went downstairs and met him, and uh, he came out with glasses on, and I had my glasses on. <laughs> my, and I was like, oh, I came from Gamble, and blah, blah, blah. And I was talking to him, and talking about, what do you call the really nice guy, Michael? Is Michael? Oh, there? lovely dude. Yeah, we, we met him all. Anyway. Sorry for anybody that doesn't have a clue what we're on about. We're on about Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, I said, uh, okay, I was like, 
let's get let's get a photo and he was like oh hold on i want i i want to take off my old guy glasses and I, I was wearing these glasses i'm wearing here at the moment and i said here i'm not taking my old guy glasses off and he went all right then so we just kept them on <laughs> we're like eerily similar but yeah no nice like fantastic singer like great stage presence you know like w was very much i think initially with the band there was a real oh philly if you could sound like rkk or cyrus oh, or belladonna that would be the ticket and i think i spent a lot of time listening to that what did you call him joe you fucking said that he was a cheap fucking rob halford i am for well, sake like i tell you what though there's no though, respect there's, there's for you not philly. too many there's not too many cheap rob halfords out there there's only one dear one cheap rob halford is still very expensive rob halford oh, Jesus, yeah. very, very high yeah, up the, from your tim ripper owenses so. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, like, Senor Spielbergo, like, still yeah. the Mexican equivalent. I'm the Mexican equivalent. That's great. Health, you know, like, I'm the non-brand. I was, I I was insulted when I read it. I was insulted <laughs> for you when I read it. Like, they wouldn't say that about Bobby Blitz from Overkill. They wouldn't, like. I'm, I'm definitely a, a bargain basement Blitz as well, definitely. Like, that's the other role I fulfill in metal. Like, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a non-brand I'm little blitz. I'm the little. I'm the Aldi blitz. Like, ah, uh, I've so many great memories of seeing Overkill live, and he just waiting behind the speakers, getting ready he's to the, run out. And he, he's the best front man I've ever seen. He's amazing. He's the best front man I've ever seen, and he's great. And he's great crack. He's brilliant crack. Like, brilliant crack. He's one of the. You should see guys. some of the lads. You should see some of the gifts he sent me. I can't even describe some of the gifts he sends me because they'd be away to jail. He'd be cancelled if he saw some of the gifts he can send. You fucking WhatsApp to me. Like. Are you are you pals? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I am name dropping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know we've just always stayed in touch, kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, we, we're talking. We supported them a few times on tour. Right, yeah. Basically, one time Philly was doing some moves on stage, or he sent some sort of lingo or rap on stage. And then Bobby Blitz came to our bus the next day with beer. I'm like, like, do you know what? Do you know what it was? Like, here, here's beer for you, Philly. I'm stealing your stealing your lingo, and we're like, oh my god, Bobby Blitz is using Philly's lingo. Yeah, because we were backstage somewhere in America, and like That's you know, he's ridiculous. one of them. He's one of them lads. He's from Jersey, so like oh, all his yeah. crack, all his crack is about fighting you. Like you know, That's right, he's yeah, always he's like, always stage. come on, you he's always yeah, and he's like that in real life. He's always starting on you. Like his crack is starting on you. So like he was giving me shade, and I. I started saying, like, you know, they sort of cracked, like, uh, like my older brother would always say this kind of thing, you know, like, hope you like to taste the hospital food, and like, you know, do you like waking up, do you like waking up with a crowd around you, and, you know, give you so many laughs, you'd be begging for I'd a kick right you here. so much into the head, you're, you think you're surrounded. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly, exactly, yeah, do you want a wing of the hospital named after you? And, um, uh, I, <laughs> so I started into those, and he thought that was hilarious, and then the next night he came out with this box of beer and said, yeah, I stole some of your, stole your fucking, you know. Um, so yeah, that's that's my lame to fame. He has, and actually, I've, he's he's such an old, uh, he, he's such an old softy. I've actually, I went to see him in London a year or two ago, and obviously he knew I was there with the missus, and he pulled it out. He pulled that one out on the stage. He was like, "Hope you like to take the hospital." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know he's very sweet. He's very sweet. That's cool. Jesus Christ! I mean, like, uh, you've probably met most of your heroes. Then would that be true? Uh, yeah. Well, I've met. Metal-wise, I've met a lot of people. I've met, um, I met Metallica, and um, did you really? Yeah, but that was I used to be a journalist, so I did a lot of the metal people I met were through being a journal. I interviewed Lemmy, I interviewed uh, Lars Ulrich, I interviewed Gene Simmons, Alice Cooper. Meat Who was Loaf. that with Philly? I used to work for the the Daily Star, the Irish Daily Star. 
And Jesus. I did stuff. I've, I've written for Matt Lahammer and all as well. Like, I've done all that as well. Last yeah, night, like, don't really do that now. But yeah, I used to do, like, Lars Ulrich was great. I thought he was really nice. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt um, it. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I mean, he gets a shit name, but I mean, look, he's enthusiastic about the scene and everything. So. He knows his metal, but Jesus, I tell you. Fuck it, no one will argue with Lars, I'd say, in relation to metal. Yeah. Curiously gone toe to toe with anybody on New Album. Like, he knows everything about New Album. Like, he was, he was, it, like, about. He, he wouldn't talk for less than 25 minutes, which is a really long time if you're interviewing somebody. And he um, he talked about New Album for about 15 minutes, like, and he was just going insanely deep on Bardas and bands like that and how insanely into Bardas he was. Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Joe? Any heroes that you personally... Obviously, the lads from Tankard, I'd imagine. They were lovely. John Sire stayed in my house for two weeks there last year. Who? <laughs> John Sire from Agent Steel. <laughs> yeah he did did he he did did he arrive by UFO <laughs> unfortunately not he, got he the left by one got the bus um, I don't know who else, who else have I met um, apart we from we've met, we met, we met Tom Angel Ripper he's nice oh, we've met, fucking you know. hell he's a dude we met him in London um, yeah because we went over to see uh, Sodom Oh my God! I should know this now. Sodom, suicidal angels, and uh, death angel. Dead angel. Yes, thank you. Yeah, lovely dude. Chilled out in the tracksuit, man, having a fucking beer and a fag. How's it oh, going, Tom? Uh, man, if you want to talk about heroes, like uh, one one of the best crack we ever had was Dan Liker. Whenever we were playing the Nuclear Assault in Dublin, so like Joe and I years ago, whenever we just started the band. We flew over to London and we went to see Nuclear Assault with Testament and Death Angel. Yeah, what, yeah. A, what a tour. And uh, we, we obviously, we, we had, you know, built up Dan Liker to be this thing in our minds. And when we met him, he was super, super high and he wouldn't, he wouldn't really talk. He couldn't talk. And we were like, oh, man, this is so disappointing. Like, you know, don't meet your heroes kind of thing. And then whenever, when, whenever we went backstage in Dublin, <laughs> In the voodoo, we went down into the basement where their dressing room was, and we were like, "Oh, lads!" And he, like the other lads, were like very nice, but quite busy, you know. Like, um, what do you call him? Um, was John on, Conley. John was on Skype to his family and stuff. So, you know, you couldn't really, you know, you couldn't really get talking. But they were nice, like. But then Dan was like, "Right, come on, we're going in here to smoke spliffs, and we're in this wee cellar, like smoking spliffs." And Imagine. we were in there for a good hour or two, weren't we? Like just cracking with him, and he's like. And we actually, we even said to him after about half an hour, we said, Dan, we'll have to admit, like, you, you ruined our, our, like, when we were kids, you ruined our hero worship. And he was like, oh, I was super, super high. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> when he, when, and when he, when your hero comes out with that, you just go, well, well yeah, I'd expect. Sure, I remember we had, I think the game marriage referendum had just passed, so it was five years ago or whatever. And... What we're talking about, and he said, Oh man, and they've just passed the gay marriage referendum here. Isn't that wonderful? And I was like, It is brilliant, isn't it? And then I went, Here, did you know about lesbians must die? And he went, Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of like, Listen, whenever you're young, you do stupid stuff. So yeah. don't try and no, me. And we were like, We love lesbians. It's a brilliant <laughs> song. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't take it seriously, Dan. You know, like, but that, yeah. I was just slagging him. I was like, "Here, you were that song. Like, what the fuck are you talking about?" He was like, "Yeah, you know." Have you <laughs> been watching? Really. Have you been watching the sad stuff live on YouTube? Yeah, yeah I did I watch, watch it. Cool, yeah, huh? I watched a bit of it. Good buzz, yeah. Good buzz, yeah. Just fucking the riffage there, like I mean, 
Jesus Christ. It's really weird. Like, I know this sounds really weird, but I was super interested to see inside their houses to see Dan like I was watching that as well, man. Yeah. You'd expect it with Scott Ian because he's made a few Bob-like, but Dan is just kind of the CDs in the background and all that, yeah. Yeah, but I was kind of like, Dan's house looks nice, though. Like, it looks, like, nicely done. Like, looks like my brother's gaff, you know? I was like, oh, couple of CDs there. Like, got your box set there. What's your box set, Dan, you know? Did you have any mad mad shit happen to you on tour? Because I'm just dragging. I'm I'm sorry now if I'm delaying you, but it's such a great crack. Did you have any mad stuff happen to you on tour that just stands out, just kind of going, how the fuck do we survive that? We've definitely had a couple of very dangerous things. One night when we were loading out our gear in Prague, uh, it was raining very heavily, and we were parked on the side of a sort of a dual carriageway in the city. And a really posh car, like an Audi or something, aquaplaned, uh, down the street, I, it must have been going 70, and uh, the, it slammed into the trailer connected to our RV, Fuck. and we were loading in at the time, so someone was standing inside the trailer, Paul maybe, and Joe, or was it you, Joe? You were in no. the trailer, you were in the caravan, and two of the lads had just loaded an amp into the back, so if it had happened a few seconds earlier, they would have been God. killed. Jesus yeah. Christ. And then um, a guy knocked a big massive TV over on top of Joe's head one time, which I, I definitely thought he was killed. He was sleeping on the floor, and a guy was sleeping in a house where a party was going on, and everybody was on 2CB, this insane drug. And this guy came in and flailed across the room and knocked this massive TV. And I was like, that's Joe dead. But it actually, I don't know what he did. He managed to put his hands up or something. Um, what else happened? A couple of mental things happened. Uh, what else happened? I don't know. Like, there's... You always class it between either brushes with nearly being killed or just like just random mentalness, like you know, fucking I don't know. Like you always remember, I kind of remember weird fans or people strange things happening at gigs. We, we used to play this place called the Heretic Club in Bordeaux, and one time we were playing, some guy at the front got his head smashed open, and you could see the inside <coughs> of his skull. And we like tried to stop the gig, and we're all like, listen we're not playing anymore until this guy gets some medical attention and he everyone was around him was like no and he was all like no i'm fine i'm staying here and we're just like smoking a fire yeah. <laughs> like continue the conversation okay. yeah. and like yeah, yeah what, what and everybody's been like kind of seriously hurt in some way on tour i had to go to hospital in la after we played in the whiskey and our guitar player luke curl one fell out of the van and wrecked his leg well, Luke, like, why Luke, did you have to go to the know, hospital, Joe? I don't. I don't even know. I, I was sleeping in the van for about for about two months, sleeping on the floor with Philly, and it was grand. And then it was our turn to sit, uh, drive or uh, sleep in bunks, and my bunk was right over where the wheel of the truck was, and whatever the vibration was, kind of caused me some problems with my diaphragm. But I remember like waking Philly up and just being like, man. I need you, like, wake the driver up. We need to go to the hospital. Like, and you couldn't bring fucking insurance. It was like a thousand, a thousand pounds to get put in a drip for an hour or two, you know? Yeah, you couldn't breathe. It was really scary. Like, really, and, and of course, and not not to be dramatic about it, but that wasn't too long after our mate Mike had died. Mike was sort of short of breath and then he had died on tour. And I remember yeah. going into a Walmart and ringing the missus and being like, Joe says he can't breathe and now he's in the hospital. And I was like, this is fucking, you know. Mm. And like, Mike was a big dude, like Joe was well known. And I was like, like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Like, you know. It's only when it's because you do tours that are like, if it's like a three-month tour, then natural stuff happens. Somebody's girlfriend breaks up with them, etc. You know, whenever something goes on that long, stuff that would normally happen in normal life happens to you, you know? So. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And like, I we were touring in the UK one time and I got a virus, just like kind of like you would get normal life, like, but 
when you're on tour, that's an insane thing, you know, and I had like mad pains in my ears and I couldn't speak and like I was all shivery and cold. And I remember the lads had to do a few gigs without me and our driver drove us to London where the end of the tour was going to be. And he put me in this really cheap hotel out literally in the docks in London. I mean, there was no other building near the hotel. And I spent three full days lying in bed in that hotel. And I could only eat what was down in the lobby and I could only like sleep wow. and watch films or whatever. And I drank like, I drank, like five Actually, litres of water a day. Last time we played in London, uh, our, oh, our old drummer Paul like got such bad food poisoning from Burger King that like had to stand up in the middle of the gig to go and vomit and shit and stuff and like Jesus bad living bad living, bad living. <laughs> the music just ended I was standing there singing and then the music just stopped and I was like and Paul wasn't there and I was like and I mean we're talking like, good, like, like the underworld was full it was a brilliant oh, gig like, yeah, great, great venue yeah and then uh, I'm starting there, and then we get started. He comes back out, we get started again, then he goes again. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And then whatever way the other lads were going to look after him, it was only me and Dono uh, left standing on the stage. And we're sort of looking at each other, and everyone in the audience is standing looking at us sort of laughing. But you're a natural comedian, Philly, so anybody would have struggled with you. That's what the ladies say. can laugh very easily. Yeah, people just have to look at me and they laugh and laugh and laugh. Like, you know, uh, yeah, then I started doing the, you know, another way you can do William Tell like this. <laughs> I started doing that. You didn't, you didn't resort to that, did you? I fucking did, and Domo played guitar along to it, and it was, it, it worked. <laughs> Some guy actually after that gig came up to me and was all like, oh, that impromptu comedy bit in the middle of the gig was brilliant. Have you guys ever considered not playing music and doing this full time? And I was like, no. Nope. a waste of time. Joe, you weren't surprised, though, man. Like you've been in Mexico, Brazil, America, no guns or any shit like that has been pulled in here or any like that. You no, know, we had um, we played a, a festival yeah. in southern Italy where we were apparently threatened by neo Nazis and we had to have a security escort who then themselves turned out to be fascists or whatever. They did a fascist salute. But we like, wrote a song called Mussolini Mosh about that's right, Nazi yeah. Mussolini song, that and then incident. went to this place where they love Mussolini, and then we ended up writing a song about that experience. So called Metal Idiot. So Metal Idiot is about that night where we were playing Mussolini Mosh. So we've heard that and we've had, I've heard of things happening to other people. We played a festival in Lithuania and when we played anti-fascist songs, a guy in the audience got his jaw broken because he was uh, like supportive and there were like some kind of wankers standing near him. So like, I've heard of things like that. We've never had, um, no, we've never really had much bother like that. Like obviously, thank God. Stuff people are people can be armed and stuff, but like our trip manager was armed in America, so it's not really. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That was and like I I don't really, I I, I don't support any of that kind of thing. Like you know, but yeah. like Metal, metal's just like that. Like we, one time we were on tour and the club that we were booked in to play, between being the gig being booked and us arriving there had turned into a neo-Nazi club. Yeah. And oh was like, man. Berlin, like Mexicans and they were like you know. Where was this, Joe? In, in Berlin. Berlin, and our, our tour, man- tour manager in that tour used to be a debt collector for the Hell's Angels, and like he was a very serious dude, and he turned around to us and was like, "We need to get out of here right now." Fuck. You know, so we well, we like, played the gig at all. Like, we did play the gig. Did you they play the gig? They were, yeah, they were a German yeah, biker. Like it was, it was super, like it was really uncomfortable. It was like they were playing a CD over the PA while we were playing. You know, yeah. so and then they, like, they, they, there was yeah. sort of a "You've got our guitars," they said. Like when we were trying to leave, they tried to make out the, you know, they tried to steal the guitars, kind of thing. But he didn't have any of it. Like our, our tour, they, they said Martin Lamb, our tour manager, 
at that time is one of the most serious in the business. He's like insanely well respected. He's Corey Shout Taylor's right hand. He's Corey Taylor's right hand man on tour and all. He's, he's a fucking serious dude. Like and Martin was just like you used to have to look after Danny Danny Filth around yeah. the time they were huge. It took really bad song. like it was just a constant nightmare of like, you know, Danny Filth goes around, you know, fucking Who's Danny Filth? He's the guy Who's from Danny Filth. Cradle of Filth. Oh Cradle of Filth. All oh, right, sorry. Danny I couldn't Filth hear it properly. Man. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, he said he said that was a total nightmare. So, so Martin, <laughs> Martin so was the one who went to the Vatican with him. Did you ever hear the story about that? No, like, no, no. Well, they famously had this T-shirt that says yeah. "Jesus is punt on the back. Obviously, and yeah. Their, their biggest PR moment was they went to the Vatican wearing those T-shirts and got thrown out by security priests. Um, and uh, Martin was with them. He was their security man. <laughs> they got thrown out of the Vatican. But anyway, like, yeah, that was that was crazy. That place was a new Nazi bar. And like, is, you know, is other Martin stuff, like, an Irish guy? Yeah. Where's no, Martin? Scott. It's Scott. He's from Dundee, I think. He's from Dundee, but he lives he lives in the north of England. With his daughter at the minute, and I still keep in touch with him. He's a great man, but um, you know, and like when you play in Japan, everything is mad. Like every single thing that happened in Japan is mad. Like every person you met is a mad person, and every single interaction is mad. And you know, there was a fucking like I, I love it. Please don't think that this description in any way is a judgment or a disparagement because I really loved it. But there was a lad at the gig. Um, who was dressed up as like a sort of a Alice in Wonderland style girly girl, like a like a like a hentai. Oh, Cos- Cosmo play is it or some shit like uh, that? Yeah, yeah. It was, I'm sure he was at uh, what they would call a kusuru or whatever. He had like a wee, a wee mini dress with tweel and like knee high socks and like little little girly buckle shoes and a blonde wig with pigtails. And uh, there's an amazing video of everybody moshing and doing a circle pit, and he's skipping. He's skipping. Oh my god! You want to be a, you want to be a mad bastard, but confident you know as well to appear like that you know respect you know what i mean respect. like but but at the same time like what are we here for like live your yeah. fucking life especially at a heavy metal gig absolutely we, you know like fucking live your life go mad and I, I do remember particularly the second he was at the second gig as well and he was a cheerleader at the second gig and i remember um and i remember he, he come up on the stage or i'm actually not sure of my pronouns maybe he is she i don't know but the, the the dress would have maybe said he and like He's up on the stage and I like gave him a hug and then he leapt off into the crowd, right? And as he leapt off into the crowd, he went like, you know, arse up and he had white panties on. <laughs> and I was like, this fucking guy walked the walk. Living the like, dream, this. man. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? This isn't an out, there's not an out pair of like, you know, Penny's boxers under there. Like he has the appropriate hats on. Like. <laughs> So there you go. Do you know what? It's a credit to you as a band as well that you can get these guys in. Well, I mean, there's something wrong with you. There's there's something wrong with what you're doing if people don't feel like they could be themselves. At yes, it, you know, and it's and fun. Wrong there. It's fucking fun, ultimately. You know, like well, what do you? Yeah, what do you like? You know, what sort of what sort of art are you making if people don't feel like they can be included? What kind of show are you doing if people don't feel like they can have fun? And about fun, have you decided on what you're going to be wearing for the next tour? Are you going to raid really. Joe's closet? Joe, what's the crack, man? Have you ain't lined up for him yet? Uh, no, like, Cast well, offs. I'm thinking I might do, might, I might get back to doing costume changes now for this one. I might do a few different things. Do, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It's kind of David Bowie, serious moonlight phase, so it'll probably be like a grey suit. I was actually thinking uh, I might wear a suit. I might, I might wear a suit. I might actually get a suit. Like, Ergo like, Starkey style. There's yeah, a little bit of the inner Jarvis Cocker waiting to get out, really, ha- in the suitness. So. Yeah. Have a look at a few old Miami Voice ones, man. I mean, Don, Don. You Don, don't Johnson, need to tell me. I've already got them. I've already got those suits, man. Don't worry about it. Pastel pink. <laughs> 
pastel pink and silver suit? No, I've got a I've got a linen suit. Maybe for summer festivals, I might wear a linen suit. No, oh, bad idea. Yeah. The sweat will come true. Don't worry about that. I do, I never sweat like Prince Andrew. I don't sweat. I don't sweat. <laughs> sweat proof. Sweat proof. Lads, I'm going to leave you go. Thanks a million. Thank you very much, Steve. For the t- this has Thank been really, so really awesome, man. It's <laughs> just been really, really good questions and good crack. Nice being able to sit and have a beer. And like a lot of the times when we do interviews, people don't understand anything we're saying. Whereas, you know. As I said, and, and I want to give a shout out to uh, Damo and John as well. Two of the best dual guitarists out there. Fuck it. Straight up. Um, and have oh, been for a long them. time. They're good lads. Thank you for saying. Joe, Philly, brilliant having you on great crack i was hoping it would be and 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 as i said like i'm just chuffed that i can finally get a trash band on and and talk shit about about all our stuff in the past i'm sure like if you'll have us on again maybe when the album comes out we could talk at the end of the year absolutely 100 percent. i'd love that good man richard okay lads thanks a million you've been listening to the metal cell and if you haven't checked out their stuff get on gamma bomb on facebook twitter instagram they're uh, fairly active on it. You can still donate. Um, yeah, our last single was in support of Dublin Simon Community. Dublin Simon you Community. Can, you can donate either by uh, watching our YouTube video um, for Living for the Lockdown is the yeah. name of the song. In the description there, there's a link you can click. Or you can text Dub Simon, D-U-B Simon, to 50300. That's Dub Simon to 50300 to automatically donate for euro. Do good work. Mind yourselves now and, and you know, do a bit of good. Brilliant. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. So next week's episode is about mental health, and I decided to do it after watching Bailey Jr.'s superb independent short film called Suffer, which is a raw and uncompromising look at isolation, mental health, and suicide. So be sure to check it out on YouTube, and how you'll find it will be under Bailey's production company name, Scapegoat TV, if you are interested in this subject. I will be joined by director Bailey, Tom from Zahora, Evan from Worn Out and Shane Horn, as many of you know him as a photographer and he is now also a practicing psychotherapist. Thank you for listening. Cheers, Richie.